Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? not a test. This is rock and roll. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are back from covering the largest music festival in North America, South by Southwest 2008. We're going to play some of our favorite discoveries and talk about what we learned down there news-wise. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for music news. The stars at night are big and <laughs> Greg, for 22 years, the South by Southwest Music Festival has descended on Austin, the capital of Texas. It's gotten bigger every year. Every year people complain about that. Every year I suspect our editors think we are just sneaking out of town for spring break, <laughs> leaving the 30-degree weather in Chicago for the 92-degree weather in Texas during the day. But in fact, there are so many bands descending on Texas from around the world, many of whom are going to make big news in the months to come, and there are so many industry people who come and speak for one of the only times they ever do that for a public audience, there's always serious news, both artistically and business-wise, coming out of this festival. That's why we go. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the best table setter for the next year in music. When you're talking about 1,700 bands, by the (laughs) way, that's a record number of bands, you get a huge range. I mean, everybody from R.E.M. uh, introducing their new album to tiny bands who don't even have a record out yet. And as you said, some of the speakers, you're never going to see these guys talk in public again. Greg, the way I see it, there were two major stories that came out of the daytime sessions at the Austin Convention Center, one involving Ticketmaster. We'll get to that in a minute. The other involving a plan for record labels and ISPs getting together. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. One of the things that I've seen change over the last seven, eight years in particular at South by Southwest is that when the uh, the digital revolution started to hit big time around 99, 2000, 2001, there was a lot of self-pitying. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of hand-wringing. Oh, woe is us. Sky These is falling. guys are ripping us off. What are we going to do? Well, in the last few years, we've started to see some solutions show up on the table. I attended a panel. It was a beautiful Friday afternoon. Everybody wanted to be outside. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. meanwhile, inside this very austere 
Austin Convention Center, nobody wanted to be inside, was a fascinating discussion about one of the more constructive proposals I have yet seen about how to get the music industry out of the mess it's in. What it is basically is a licensing fee that would be imposed on broadband users who download music. In other words, if you didn't download music, you wouldn't have to pay this fee. It would be Mm. part of your broadband bill at the end of each month. It would be collected by the Internet service provider, so you'd have to have a deal in place with these Internet service providers to make this fee part of the monthly bill that they would charge consumers who download music, and then in turn, about four or five bucks from each of those users would be transferred over to the music industry to be distributed back to copyright holders like songwriters, the people who make this music. It's different from the proposal we talked about a few months ago from the Canadian Songwriters Association, which was basically to impose a tax on everybody who has a broadband connection. This is a more narrowly defined proposal, and it would become strictly from the private sector. There would be no government involvement at all. It would be a business deal between copyright holders and Internet service providers. The question is, who's actually going to be collecting the money from the Internet service providers, and how is it going to be distributed? Well, I I read what you wrote, Greg, and I thought it was a really interesting panel, but I still think the Canadian proposal makes a little more sense. I mean, for one thing, you know, we all know that you can piggyback on someone else's Internet connection if you have a wireless computer. So you could download a boatload of songs, and maybe they never do, uh, but you're using their ISP, right? Or uh, alternately, I mean, everybody uses some form of copyrighted material, even if it's just a click on a YouTube video. Right. Seems to make sense to just put one standard tax across the board on every ISP account, the same way that they, they put a small tax on every blank cassette sold years and years ago. Yeah. The analogy that was used, and uh, the, the person who's behind this proposal is Jim Griffin, who has been one of the leading thinkers in the music industry for the last couple of decades. He used to work for Geffen Records. Now he's a consultant to three of the four major labels. The analogy he made is to the way the professional sports teams have have set up deals with cable television Mm. and how that has become a huge, huge revenue stream for a lot of these leagues and kept them in business and kept them thriving. He sees a similar kind of relationship between the music industry and these Internet service providers. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, there's a few kinks that need to be worked out. I was interested, Jim, in the panel with the CEO of Ticketmaster, (laughs) which I thought was an unprecedented opportunity for this guy to make the case and show everybody, okay, we have a soul. We are not the soulless, greedy SOBs that everybody thinks we are. Well, he kept telling us that at the same time that he dodged every question that Ethan Smith of the Wall Street Journal posed at him and questions that people in the audience, including me, got up and asked after after the session, as the session was winding down. I've never heard such Orwellian corporate doublespeak. You know, he's sitting there looking at at something that's that's pure white and saying black, you know, and (laughs) and wants us to believe it. Ticketmaster is going to be hurting next year. At the end of this year, Live Nation pulls out all of the tickets it sells for concerts from Ticketmaster. Its contract expires, and it's going to be selling those tickets itself. That is 17% of Ticketmaster's business. It's a tremendous loss. Imagine any company or corner store that loses 17% of the business in a year. What is Ticketmaster's plan to make up for that loss? It's going after eBay, Craigslist, StubHub. It's getting into the secondary market in a major way. It wants to become both both the primary seller of a ticket and then the only company controlling the resale of that ticket. It's lobbying across the country, various states, to have their laws changed to only allow the original seller of a ticket to conduct a auction afterwards to resell the ticket. Ticketmaster CEO Sean Moriarty granted that it's about a $4 billion business, the resale of a ticket, and that 
the value of a ticket changes many times over its life. They would like to be there. If all of a sudden a show sells out, Hannah Montana, and that $30 ticket shoots up to be worth $300, they want the piece of that, and they're going to go after that market. It was truly frightening to hear him sit there and say that. Well, what's to prevent Ticketmaster from, say, you know, they put up 15,000 tickets for a typical arena show. What's to prevent them from pulling 2,000 tickets off of that sale? And holding them back. And then holding them back and selling them now. They could do this literally right now with tickets now. They own the second biggest uh, ticket reseller in the country. Many critics accuse them of doing that. And they, you know, at the same time that this uh, executive was sitting there telling us his company is transparent, I asked the question, the, the panelists host the question, several other audience members asked the question, how? Does that 1750 ticket charge, that, that's a per-ticket charge that took me 30 seconds online to rack up, how do you divvy that up? And they refuse to answer it. This is not a company that is responsive to its consumers. And the big problem it's always been, you know, it's the only company. You want to buy tickets? You pretty much have to go to Ticketmaster. Now there's going to be a major competitor, Live Nation. And you better believe, Ticketmaster, if you think we're being unfair to you, we're going to hold Live Nation's feet to the fire just as enthusiastically. This is something that consumers deserve is a fair ticketing agency. That is the song Horse to Water from R.E.M.'s new album Accelerate, a 14th studio album of the band's career. A career that stretches back to the early 80s. They've sold 50 million records, but the band needs a hit in a big way. And it shows the South by Southwest Music Conference to launch the big publicity and marketing campaign that is no doubt going to accompany a release by a major Warner Brothers artist. Remarkably, R.E.M. has never played Mm. Uh, South by Southwest until this year. Nor has it ever played Austin City Limits, the public television concert showcase, which is entering its 34th year. The reason we say this, I mean, they've sold a lot of records, but their last studio record, Around the Sun, was a stiff, no uncertain terms, 233,000 sold. That is not very good by REM standards. Remember that this band was selling tens of millions of albums in the early 90s. They were neck and neck with U2 for a decade. Clearly the two bands of their generation that rose to the highest level, still in arena rock attraction. And REM is going to be playing arenas once again this summer. Accelerate is going to be out in a few days. It is billed as the return to their roots, the Mm. (laughs) hard-rocking, guitar-based record that they've been promising for about a decade but have not delivered. Let's hear a track from Accelerate. It's called Living Well is the Best Revenge, and it's on Sound Opinions.
the best revenge opening track from R.E.M.'s new album, Accelerate. And Greg, those are not false words. This is a, a rock star band now. Michael Stipe, in fact, held up that ACL concert taping for uh, more than an hour as he waited. They had gotten him espresso, but not the right brand of espresso. He had to wait. He had a bit of prima donna, much like U2, except they're not doing the U2 numbers. Every new R.E.M. album since Monster in 1994 has been greeted rapturously by the R.E.M. faithful and its hired hypesters as this is the album this is the one that finally brings them back to former glories as good as out of time as good as document and every album uh, has broken my heart this is a band that meant so much to me I mean I first saw them when Chronic Town came out I was underage I snuck in this band was my universe and then to see them get to the top as they did it was so inspiring to a generation of us I have to say I had not listened to the advance of Accelerate before I saw them in Texas I wanted to see what they were doing live first and they were better than they'd been in the last decades worth of arena rock tours but they weren't great you know the new song sounded okay and then they did fall on me one of the great classics from the past and I just saying they played fall on me I still get goosebumps by the There's nothing that emotional on this new album. It's not a bad album. In fact, I like Accelerate much, much more than I liked the live concert. You know, all that rock star stuff, waiting for your espresso. These three guys have been playing together for three decades. They never looked at each other on stage once. I found it very distressing. There was no connection between these musicians. They were phoning it in. Oh, I don't know. I I, I didn't see that at all. I didn't see them not caring, and I did see... You know, I mean, Mills and Stipe looked over at each other a few times and, and were smiling at each other like, hey, you know, we're sounding pretty good. I think for the first time in a decade, they have their band back together again in terms of how they want to sound. I think there was a huge adjustment being made to the fact that Bill Berry left the band in 1997. A lot of people say, well, he's just a drummer. I don't think people realize what a tremendous loss that was. And I think if you just look at the records that have been made since Bill Berry left, is an indication of how much he meant to the band and how much he meant to the chemistry of that group. Stipe himself called the band a three-legged dog after Berry left, yeah. yet they continued on. This is the first record in the post-Bill Berry era that I think can actually stand up in a discussion about their earlier work. I don't think it's a perfect album by any stretch, but at 34 minutes and 41 seconds, there's a lot less fluff <laughs> on this record than any other REM record in a very, very long time. And uh, I'd have to say it's a buy it for me. I think, wow. uh, you know, I, I hear some urgency back in Stipe's vocals. I love that sort of grainy quality allows to creep into his voice in Living Well's The Best Revenge. So on the Sound Opinions rating scale, buy it, burn it, trash it, Jim. I'd have to give this a buy it. I'm sorry, Greg. I can't do any better than a burn it. I wish I could. 
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we're reporting from the South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas. Jim DeRigatis, myself, Greg Cott, we're standing outside a massive line at uh, the famous Antones Blues Club waiting for the Domino Record Showcase. It doesn't look like we're going to get in, Jim. No, Sons and Daughters is a band I thought only you and I liked. It was only, <laughs> what, a couple of weeks ago we reviewed them on the show, and they're playing here all the way from Scotland. But that's the sort of thing that's happening. I mean, there's 150-some-odd bands at this very moment at clubs all over the Texas capital. There'll be 150 more in the next 40-minute slot until it all ends at about 3 this morning. Yeah. And, and you and I will be a little bit tired by that point. But that's why we come here, to discover stuff and to hear old sounds in new settings and uh, basically take the pulse of the music industry. Biggest music conference in the United States, more than 1,000 bands, more than 10,000 registrants descending on Austin, Texas. If you can't find a good band here in the next uh, 24 hours, you just aren't trying hard enough. All right, we got shut out of Antones, but we picked the next best and closest club, which was La Zona Rosa. Another classic uh, Austin joint. Indeed. We went to see a couple of buzz bands, the last of which was uh, Yesair out of Brooklyn, New York. Phenomenal stuff. Incredible. Swirling, psychedelic, modern, but also retro 60s with those harmonies. I love the, the, the rhythmic variety. Uh, the drummer was really doing, it was almost like jazz drumming. And there was a little bit of African influence as well. Very top heavy. I, before them, I didn't, I didn't much care for, uh, for, for uh, what, what the heck? Times New Viking? Times New Viking. Yeah, I don't know what it means. I had high hopes at first. It was this really grungy garage rock with... You know, a big hefty dose of, of Britpop melody. Now, if that sounds familiar, these guys are from Columbus, Ohio. They clearly worshipped the altar of Guided by Voices. But they hosed everything down with just buckets full of distortion on the vocals. A, a hit and a miss, I would say. Times New Viking, uh, underwhelming, but uh, N- Yesair, favorite new band. Very of, exciting. Of South by Very Southwest exciting. So well, far. they're already, you know, there was a bidding war between Pitchfork and Lollapalooza to get them on the bill. I think this is going to be a band that makes some news in, in 08. Yeah, Greg, I got to say, Yesair was one of the best shows I saw out of, I don't know, 50. <laughs> In Texas. Then I came home and I listened to All Our Symbols, the record, and it and it was kind of disappointing. I loved it. I thought the record was very different from, from the live show in some ways, but uh, it felt like a dream, you know, this long journey. And it was, be- you know, it was really, it was yeah. really beautiful. Well, that's because you're high on cough medicine because of uh, the cold you came back with. We're going to delve into some of our other discoveries from South by Southwest 2008 as soon as we come back on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Jim and I are uh, still recovering from our week in Austin, Texas, where we saw some of the 1,700 bands that were on display down there. <laughs> and we're going to run through some of our, our highlights, some of the bands that we like the best. Jim, what, uh, what was your favorite or one of your favorites from uh, South by Southwest this year? Well, let me tell you, Greg, I think 1,700 is probably a conservative estimate because there are also literally dozens and dozens of non-South by Southwest gigs, showcases sponsored by indie underground labels that happen in other venues around the city. And I went to one sponsored by an independent label from Chicago called Sinister Muse, I had run into the kids, and I mean kids from this band from Chicago, the Frantic, at the airport. And they were like, Mr. DeRogatis, Mr. DeRogatis, please come and see us, right? Mm. And there was a hole in my schedule. I usually tried not to go see Chicago acts because I can see them 365 days a year, right? Uh, but this kid was so earnest. And and uh, they're a band called The Frantic, and they've put out their first album, Audio and Murder. I kid you not, they're 18 years old, and they are ferocious, playing everything at 110 miles an hour, but with this great Midwestern power pop sensibility, you know, the classic Midwestern hooks of a cheap trick or something, but sped up to super frantic tempo. And they got roots. They covered Build Me Up Buttercup by The Foundations, a song that was only written like two decades before <laughs> any of them were born. And afterwards, I said, how do you know that? And they're like, we love The Foundations. And I said, do you know that David Johansson and the New York Dolls covered that tune as well? Oh, no. Oh, my God. And you just knew they were going to rush home and, and download it from iTunes the minute we were done talking. These guys are absolutely incredible, I think. There's good things in store from them. Here's The Frantic with Fast Girl on Sound Opinions. Fast Girl from Audio and Murder on Sound Opinions. Mr. Cott, you got a discovery to lay on us? 
One of the artists I was most excited about seeing, Jim, was uh, named Santo Gold. And the reason I was excited about seeing her is that I knew her from her previous incarnation when she was known as Santi White. She was a Philadelphia-based singer, songwriter, producer, mostly a behind-the-scenes type of figure. I mean, she'd written songs for people like Ashley Simpson, but don't hold that against her. <laughs> her prime claim to fame, as far as I'm concerned, is her work on a 2002 album by an R&B singer named Reese. And when I w- looked back on the credits on that record, I realized that Santi White had written most of the songs on that record. I loved, loved that record. So excited to see that she was developing a career of her own. What she's got going on now, she's now Brooklyn-based, moved from Philly to, to Brooklyn, is a combination of that progressive R&B she was writing for Reese with kind of an electro-funk backing. There was also a lot of dub reggae rhythms in her music. Some people will be reminded of M.I.A., but I think the songwriting is a little bit more developed. It's not just about the beats and textures with Santa Gold. It's also about the lyrics and the songwriting. Very good songwriter. Had a cool setup at South by Southwest. She was backed up by these two dancers who kind of reminded me of Public Enemies S1Ws. Remember those, <laughs> yeah, those yeah. military guys? Those yeah. sort of militaristic guys that were standing on the side of the stage looking very stern. Well, these two gals were looking very stern, and then they would break out into all these you know cool dance moves while she was doing her thing. So visually, it worked well. I love the songs on her uh, MySpace page. The record isn't even out yet. It's probably going to be out in a couple of months. And uh, here's one of the tracks I love most, Les Artistes from Santo Gold on Sound Opinions. Santa Gold with a song called Les Artistes, one of my favorite artists from the South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas. Jim, what do you got next? Well, Greg, I have to say, part of tackling South by Southwest is going down with a plan. You know, I have my highlighter, I have my schedule, I've got the best laid plans of mice and Jim, and they all fall apart. And I found myself stuck somewhere and and despairing of where to go next when Jason Saldana, one of our producers on Sound Opinion, said, come on, we've got to go see this band, Crystal Castles, at Emos. They are an experimental electronic duo from Toronto. 
Toronto that uh, alternate between the extremes of lulling chill-out electronica, you know, pull up the beanbag and just bliss out, and ultra-aggressive punk techno, which is really driven over the top by the vocalist Alice Glass, who was kind of like a sort of a female Iggy Pop presence in some ways, very, very just flamboyant and, and energetic. Meanwhile, behind her, her partner Ethan Kath is creating these great undulating washes of sound. I dug it. I love the album, which I, I dug out as soon as I came home. Just came out. It's called Fix My Brain. And uh, this is the second track on that disc. It's called Alice Practice on Sound Opinion. <laughs> Castle's Alice Practice on Sound Opinions. Greg and I are running through our experience at South by Southwest 2008. All right, here we are, day two of uh, South by Southwest winding up. It's Thursday night. We're on 6th Street. Just got out of the uh, Vice Records showcase where uh, I saw a couple of bands. Jay Retard played uh, from Memphis, a trio. Looked like refugees from like a bad haircut day in the 70s, but uh, high-velocity punk rock. The drummer was unbelievable. I think he was playing 64th notes for about 20 minutes straight without stopping. There was no room to breathe for the band, for the audience, or for the songs. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite so sustained since the Ramones in the, uh, in the late 70s. The flip side of that was the second band, Dark Meat, which was almost the complete opposite of Jay Retard. There's a, I counted eight or nine-piece brass section, a string section, and they were playing 11, 12-minute jams. Reminded me a lot of Joe Cocker, Mad Dogs and Englishman tour of the late 60s. These hippies tripping on something, playing this wild, freeform Mardi Gras meets R&B type music. They made the polyphonic spree look like they were together. So we're winding up tonight, 6th Street here. It's been a long day, and we're going to be back for more tomorrow. Yes, a lot of long days and nights at South by Southwest. Uh, if you got more than four or five hours of sleep a night, you were cheating. <laughs> you weren't singing enough music. <laughs> 
and plenty more to be discovered. One of my uh, favorite bands, uh, you, you talk about bands crowding the stage with instruments and with people. One of the bands that did that was Los Campesinos, a new band from Cardiff, Wales, of all places, that had just been signed to the Arts and Crafts label based in Canada. And they were on the showcase with a bunch of other Canadian bands, and here comes this, this wild and woolly bunch from, from Wales uh, and just lit up the place. It had been kind of a sleepy night at the Arts and Crafts showcase until these guys took the stage and just amped up the energy in the joint with this seven-piece co-ed band playing everything from glockenspiels to violins to guitars, mm. massed shout-along choruses, spoken word interludes by this singer named Gareth. They all go by just their first name. They're all, they're, their last names are all Campesinos, and Gareth is their lead singer. And their whole approach is kind of this exuberant indie rock outfitted with these unusual instruments, glockenspiels and violins. But at the center of this music are these great songs. They have a debut album coming out in a few days in the States called Hold On Now, Youngster. Here's a track from it called You, Me, Dancing, which is one of their breakthrough hits from last year. It's on Sound of Pain. They were coming at the speakers and were winding up Straight in your sneakers and dancing like every song He spins his pistol like all my dance heroes Word if they exist and yet it's sad that you think that we're all just seamsters And even if we were, it's not the senior thinking of just taking cross from nineties boy band fashions All crop tops and testosterone passion If there's one thing I could never confess It's that I can't dance a single step But I don't think right now you care about anything at all And if only there were clothes on the floor I feel for certain I was bedroom dancing And it's all flailing limbs at the front line Every single one of us is twisted by design And dispatches from the back of my mind Says so long as we're here, everything is alright If there's one thing I could never confess So I can dance a single step Los Campesinos with a song called You, Me, Dancing from their debut album coming out in a few days. We are going to be back with more of our discoveries from the South by Southwest Music Conference 2008 in Austin, Texas, right after this break on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm not the only 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are just having so much fun, it should be illegal sharing with you some <laughs> of our uh, favorites from South by Southwest 2008. My 18th year, Mr. Cod, I believe it's your 21st or 20th going down to this 20th, music festival. 20th, yeah. Man, makes us feel old. But no, I come back <laughs> feeling young. What else did you hear down there? You get re-energized when you go to a conference like this, Jim. There's no doubt about it. You see a lot of new bands. That's that's our, both of our goals, I believe, is to, to go down there and see see new stuff and, and come back with a boatload of, of bands that we're excited about seeing for the first time. One of those discoveries for me was the band called the Ting Tings from the U.K., kind of a twee-sounding name. They're a, yeah, a really. male-female duo. You're going, what is this? You know, Is this going to be some cute little pop band? At first blush, that's what they are. So I was surprised when I walked in on them at Stubbs, a big outdoor venue where R.E.M. had played a couple of nights before, and they were rocking the place. I mean, they completely had 2,500 people riveted hmm. with an with a outstanding stage performance. Uh, Jules DiMartino and Katie White, they sort of flipped the white stripes thing. He's the drummer. She's the vocalist and guitarist out front doing most of the lead vocals, but they trade vocals back and forth. They have this underpinning of electronic dance beats underneath what they're doing, but at the core of it, these uh, pop songs played with with, uh, guitar and drums. Catchy as heck, clean pop songs with big hooks, big choruses, and uh, one of the catchiest albums of the year. They're getting all sorts of praise in the U.K. press. But what I was impressed about is that beyond the record, they were able to pull these songs off live and come, come across as a very dynamic live thing. So here's an example of what they're up to. The Ting Tings, a song called That's Not My Name that they played at South by Southwest on Sound Opinions. Things bridging the worlds of pop, rock, and dance music. And that's not my name. One of my discoveries from South by Southwest. What's next for you, Jim? Well, Greg, I, I got to tell you, yeah. Part of South by Southwest is about discovering things that you've never heard before. Part of it, I think, though, is also about rediscovering bands that deserve to be much higher profile than they are. REM was obviously trying to do that. For me, the the pick of the festival was someone who used to sing with Michael Stipe in the short-lived. 
supergroup, the Golden Palominos. I'm talking about Sid Straw. Sid uh, was last heard from in 1996 when she put out a wonderful album called War and Peace. It was her second solo album, came out on Capricorn, disappeared. Things happen in South by Southwest, like Sid Straw suddenly materializes on stage. Not only Sid, after all these years, but playing with an incredible band, flanked by a mandolinist and a guitarist on one side, two guitarists on the other. So five stringed instruments total. One of those guitarists is uh, Gerf Morlix, the incredible virtuosic player uh, who backs Lucinda Williams. And Sid is there, and she's got a new album coming out. She joked, as soon as someone gives her enough money (laughs) to put it out there, it's called uh, Pink Velour. Of course, uh, Sid's been shooting herself in in the foot forever. You know, it's kind of one of these love lovable people who sung with everyone from your pal Daniel Lenoir and <laughs> Richard Thompson <laughs> to, uh, like I said, Golden Palominos. She was an actress, if you ever remembered the uh, adventures of Pete and Pete. But, you know, I think as a solo artist, she's made these two great albums. I'm, I'm thinking her third's going to be another. Far be it from Sid to be together enough to have any new music on MySpace or to send it to me, even though I was begging her. So I'm going to play one of her old songs because she played it this night, and it, and nobody's ever heard it anyway. Uh, the only One of the only things I accomplished during my short time at Rolling Stone was to get an article uh, in the magazine about how great Sid Straw was. From uh, I heard from her mother thanking me, you know. And Sid's still trying to carve out a career in this business after all these years. God, she deserves one. She's just incredible. This is a song called CBGB's about a memorable one-night stand she had back in the day. She sang it again the other night, and it was as good as it was when it came out in 96. Here it is on Sound Opinions. Sid Straw with a song called CBGB. You're right, Jim. Uh, it's great to see some of these performers who have perhaps been overlooked over the years. You know, people like Chris Stamey. Yeah. Who come down there and play. And, it, and it's great to see them still active, still making music. So uh, another band that I went to see based on reputation strictly was a band called Monotonics. Um, I had never seen them perform live, and everybody kept telling me, you got to see them live. you got to see them live. 
frankly, I wasn't all that impressed with their debut EP called Body Language, which is just coming out in the States. Uh, it had been out last year on a smaller label. They're from Tel Aviv. Um, mm. Apparently, they played every club in Tel Aviv uh, when they first formed in 2005 and got banned from each one. <laughs> and now I know why. They've been touring the world. They've, they've uh, played uh, somewhere between 200, 300 shows the last year. A spectacularly over-the-top live band with a singer, a guitarist, and drummer. That's it. They set up on stage. That's a red herring. They're really not going to be on, on stage very long. By the end of the show, or about a third of the way through the show, all the equipment is set up on the floor in the middle of the audience. <laughs> and by the end of the show, the audience is lifting every band member above the ground, a sea of arms, and the, and the singer's singing, and the guitar player is, is playing his guitar, and the drummer and his trap kit are both being held aloft by the crowd, and he's banging away. How did I miss this? This is literally a you know an airborne show yeah. <laughs> that you are witnessing. It was one of the most insane things I had ever seen. It started out the night early, like 8 p.m., and there was about 200 people there, and it was kind of a sleepy night. We'd all come back from our barbecue dinners and stuff, and this band just lit it up. So I, I will say this caveat. This EP body language is fine for what it is. It does not do them justice. If you get a chance, go see this band live, Monotonics. Here's a song from the new EP called Deadly Weapon on Sound Opinions. Monotonics from Tel Aviv, a trio doing their best Black Sabbath imitation. The EP's okay. The live show is something else. Well, here it is the last night of South by Southwest, and I am out on 6th Street, or just off 6th Street, once again. We had the same dilemma a year ago. Our dilemma is there's a band that I have been told by none other than Gerard Kosloy, founder of Matador Records, and probably, no exaggeration, the most distinguished A&R guy of my generation in terms of signing bands, you know, Everyone from Liz Fair to Guided by Voices, it's rare to find a Gerard record that isn't stellar. And he told me that the Marked Men from Denton, Texas, a garage band with a little bit of Brit kind of sound in it, you know, pop, Brit pop sound, is the best band in the world. Gerard is not a man prone to hyperbole. 
Jerron's not even a man prone to be nice to me, and he told me this. So I'm really curious. But the dilemma is it's a non-South by Southwest show. It's a small club. And unless we go in there now at 8.30 and wait until 12.15, we're not going to see that band. So I'm going to solve this marked men dilemma and see where we wind up for the rest of the night. So we did get into the club where the Mark men are supposed to play in a couple of hours. Saw a great band actually from Chicago. It was pure happenstance. Joe Black and the Blacks. Kind of uh, just ultra-aggressive garage punk. No frills. Great stuff. It was their first show. <laughs> Came down to South by Southwest for their first show. Uh, we took a gamble. We left the club. We walked up here to the Central Presbyterian Church. I will not lie. There were, well, there were two reasons. One is I want to sit down. And these pews here are incredible. I've seen shows here. It's always neat. You can sit in the pew. They put the artier stuff here, so you can just let it wash over you. There is a band coming up from Houston called uh, Space City Gamelon. And apparently, they're kids from Texas who do psychedelic rock with traditional gamelon. Cot's going to laugh at me, but I mean, how can I not come and see this? Talk about variety at South by Southwest. We went over to the Central Presbyterian Church to see a band from Houston, an eight-piece orchestra playing traditional Indonesian instruments. Now we succeeded. We came back to Beerland. We got in. It's filling up rapidly for the alleged best band in the world. I mean, how perfect would it be if the entire South by Southwest experience ends with what is actually the best band in the world? Uh, that may be a little bit too much to ask for, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready. Greg, I was ready. And uh, I will not say that the Marked Men from Denton, Texas, are in fact the best band in the world. But they certainly were one of the two or three best things I saw in Texas this year. One of the two or three best things I've heard this year, period. Uh, they've been out there for a while, honing their act. They had their third album come out in 2006 called Fix My Brain on the uh, record label started by John Reese of Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah. Remember that? Sure. So you can hear some of that Rocket from the Crypt thing. You know, this is garage rock punk rock of a very sped up, uh, you know, Ramones-based kind of sound, uh, like the Frantic, okay? But with these heavy-duty British invasion uh, melodic hooks, you know? Except there's no pose, you know? None of that kind of uh, uh, hives uh, actively retro thing. These are just delicious bubblegum garage rhythms and, and, and hooks, all right? Buzzsaw guitar. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like the Buzzcocks from Texas. How can that <laughs> How can that possibly be bad? Wow, that it's sounds wonderful. great. wonderful. I don't know what their next release is going to be, if in fact Matador signed them or not. There's some new music on the MySpace page. I'm going to play you a track from that uh, 2006 album, Fix My Brain. This is called A Little Time by the Marked Men on Sound Opinions. Just
The Denton, Texas band, The Marked Men, with a song called A Little Time. Great stuff. We could go on for six hours more and only scratch the surface on our experience from South by Southwest. Safe to say, Jim, we have enough music to sustain us until we hit the 23rd South by Southwest (laughs) Music Festival next March. Absolutely. What do we have next week on the show, Greg? Next week, speaking of Texas, we have uh, one of Texas's best ever songwriters. He's now living in New York, but Texas is where he was born, Steve Earle. Great stuff, Greg. As always, our Intrepid Sound Opinions team is Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. They were all with us down there in Texas. Dave Mahler, the intern, had to stay home. And Tori Southside Malatia, we heard rumors that he was there, but no one has seen him since. And I don't know, somebody keeps calling about bail from, from Galveston. I don't, I don't know if that has anything to do with him or not. Hello, Bubba. Yes, it's your friendly phone fanatic again. Oh, yeah, I'm loaded with verbal rap ability, Bubba. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. So listen while I recite naughty nothing. New messages. Uh, Hey, guys, my name is Brian Creighton. I'm from Chicago. And uh, enjoy your show every week. I feel like I'm part of a discussion of the type that I really enjoy. Couldn't tell you how excited I was to hear Bob Mould on your show, and in particular the fact that he played I Apologize. Now crazy, mixed up lies, pulling all around. Because I grew up in a small town in upstate New York at a college radio station. I would hear Ramones and Buzzcocks and Circle Jerks and stuff. I just never got it. I could never get past the craziness or the loudness or something. It made no sense to me. And then I heard I Apologize. It was like this epiphany. It was like the point at which punk rock made sense to me. And having once heard it, I'd just never been able to unhear it. And as a person who loves music, I think a lot about where I am because of that point in my life. It was a huge change. So thanks for that. It was great to hear it like that again. Thanks. Hi, this is Ellen calling from Boston. I love your show. I just listened to the Bob Mould show, which just thrilled me to no end. The reason I'm calling is because I think you guys are a little hard on Pitchfork. Now, granted, Pitchfork can be a little heavy-handed, but they are filling a void. There's really no good, solid, easy-to-access music channel, and I'm kind of excited to see what Pitchfork comes up with. Anyway, thanks. You guys are great, and I look forward to your show every week. Have a good day. Bye. Hi, my name is Eric. I'm currently in Champaign, Illinois. I just wanted to comment on a show last week and one of the segments that talked about Pitchfork expanding into its own MTV-like station. I know Jim and Greg had talked about comparing it to Rolling Stone and uh, how Rolling Stone never really went into that medium. Rolling Stone has been putting up free concerts and stuff on their uh, website for years. It's been their 
little in-session things. So that could also be argued that that would be crossing the line between actual journalism and advertising for bands that they are behind. Thank you very much. The show is great. I listen to it every week, and keep up the good work. Hi, this is Zach in Chicago. I have nomination for Worst Campaign Song, and the winner is Hillary Clinton's kickoff campaign. New York, 2000, at her first rally where she announces that she's going to run for Senate, the loudspeakers start blaring out the theme Captain Jack from Billy Joel. So you go to the village in your tie-dye jeans And you stare at the junkies And the closet queens It's like some pornographic magazine And you smile Someone later speculated that on Greatest Hits Volume 1, Captain Jack is track 2, and New York State of Mind is track 5, and so some campaign aide hit the wrong button. But nevertheless, there it is, I think, hands down, the worst idea for a campaign theme song anyone has ever tried. Captain Jack by Billy Joel. Thank you. Captain Jack will get you by tonight. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. 